Amen. You may be seated. And Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I know with the rise in COVID cases and everything, more of you probably at home and just want you to know that, um, wow, I'm, I'm just so moved. There was a beautiful time of prayer moving prayers were prayed here in this room, and I'm, I'm grateful for that this morning, really ministered to my soul. Um, but that's why there was that long silence, so um, people were praying here, and it was beautiful. And that song, too. Usually I wait till partway through this thir- sermon to start crying, but um, I'm just on, I'm ahead of the game today. Um, so there's a verse in uh, the text that we're going to be exploring in the book of Zechariah today um, that makes me think of uh, another tragedy that we're witnessing uh, in Ukraine. And let me read the verse to you. It says uh, in, in chapter 12, verse 3, and we'll get into more of this in, in a moment, but it says, On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves. And the reason it makes me think of what's happening there is because um, Russia or Putin maybe thought that they would advance on Ukraine and uh, overtake them in just a few days. And it turns out that the Ukrainian people are ending up to be a very heavy stone and that Russia is hurting itself as it crashes up on this heavy stone that they didn't expect would be this way. And it's in a similar way, you know, this is the story of God's people. God is saying about Jerusalem in this text that we're going to open up together this morning, uh, Jerusalem representing his people more broadly, which then through Christ uh, ends up enfolding us. Those who put our faith in Christ, we are his people. So um, God is saying about his people that they will be heavy like a stone. God's people will be heavy like a stone. Uh, And here we have, you know, in this moment back in Zechariah, the fancy armies are arrayed around them with their high-tech militaries. I'll explain that. Um, And they might be thinking that they could be easily moved. And the the nations around them think they can easily move against Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, you know, the people of God themselves are probably feeling a sense of uncertainty and fear about God move, about the nations moving on them. They might feel, because they don't have the fancy high-tech military like the rest of the nations around them, they might feel a little bit lightweight, right? We use that term when something's easily pushed over or moved to the side, and Jerusalem uh, would be tempted to feel in that way. And so God sends Zechariah to, to them to encourage them with these words. And he's, he's sending Zechariah, I just want to acknowledge this this morning. He's sending Zechariah to you this morning as well through the scripture to encourage you with these words that are so uh, life-giving and ultimately powerful. Um, It's a question that we oftentimes ask of ourselves and that all Christians actually throughout the history of the world have asked probably of themselves Um, And it's this question, do we have what it takes in this moment to meet the tests and challenges that are upon us right now? Do we have staying power, right? 
Um, do we have enough substance? It's another word for heaviness, for weight. Do we have enough substance to meet the tests and challenges that are before us? And today there's a particular set of challenges. Um, we see it in these kinds of questions. If you think on a more societal level, you know, uh, people are asking, uh, does Christianity work? When it comes to some of the hard issues like, like politics and, and race, um, when, it, when it comes to issues like leadership even, we're looking and we're, we're deconstructing the failures and the problems within the American church. The American church is kind of a mess right now, right? We experience that as we read this influx of, of articles and analyses and statistics and, and all that just has been coming in over the last thing. We're realizing, and, and some of it is due to our own failure. Some of it is due to a changing culture. And it's kind of a mess right now. And we wonder, we might wonder, we might ask a question, do we have the staying power? Do we have the heft, the substance, the weight to persevere? to continue on. So that's kind of happening at the societal level. And then we know that this happens on the individual level as well, right? Like there are challenges that come into our lives that cause us to ask deep questions and cause us uncertainty and cause us doubt. I was sitting there with Zechariah now for how many weeks you've been in Zechariah this past week. And I'm like, why do I keep going back to this ancient prophet from five, you know, year 520 BC and dragging you all through this text, right? To try to understand these complicated things. You know, we have moments like that where you just say, what am I doing, right? Some of you may be asking a question, you know, does my faith, you know, have an impact on my life? Sometimes I wonder if it does. Is there substance here or does it have an impact on anybody else's life around me? Is all of this that I'm doing changing anything? Or, or some of you may feel at times like, you know, when you see suffering in the world is, you know, you believe in God uh, and, and then in this moment where you see the suffering, it's, it, it, it pricks you right at the core and you ask yourself, you know, God, if you're really there, why so much suffering? Or why am I, maybe you're the one suffering, Lord, why are you allowing me to go through this kind of suffering? The questions come and the it's like instead of the, you know, the nations arrayed around us as the people of God, it's, it's the forces of spiritual darkness at times that, that are poking in and pressing in and threatening with their, their questions and their accusations around us. Maybe somebody in your workplace this week asked you a really hard question and you wonder, do I have an answer for that? Not only for them, but for, for myself. And it sent you on this pathway of consideration. All of these are sort of the same question. At root is, is this faith we have substantial enough to weather the test of everyday life? That's a real question. And we grapple with it at various seasons in our lives uh, in various ways. We grapple with it individually and we grapple with it collectively. And Zechariah would have two answers for us today from mainly this chapter 12 that we're going to be looking at and then one verse in chapter 13. Zechariah um, is saying to us two things. He's saying, number one, your faith is heavier than you think. It has staying power. Okay? 
This thing that you've grasped onto, this Jesus that you've held onto has staying power. It's heavier and more substantial than you think. Even when you might feel like you just have a small amount of it. Okay? That's number one. And then, then we're going to dig deeper and, and, and we're going to understand the second point, which is that the reason your faith is heavy, the reason your, your beliefs, this thing you've held onto is heavy and, and immovable is because Jesus himself, and we get this from Zechariah because there's a couple of amazing prophecies that look forward 550 years to when Jesus would go to the cross. Because the reason that your faith is heavy, this thing that you're holding onto is, is substantive, is because Jesus has put his weight into it. Jesus has put his weight into it, making it substantive and heavy. All right, so let's dig in. Your faith is heavier than you think. Zechariah 12, 1 starts off like this. We'll put it on the screen. Um, we're not going to go through the whole chapter. We're going to pick out the key moments here. If you have your Bible or digital means of opening it up, um, you might want to look at that. You can highlight things and underline things. Um, we're, we're just doing the work of digging in and trying to understand Zechariah. Um, all right, Zechariah 12.1. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. So I want you to imagine Israel, the people of God there and all the nations menacingly arrayed around them. The nations are arrayed around them and they're evoking in God's people a sense of fear and uncertainty. And now as God's going to begin to address that circumstance, he's going to take it up a level. They're looking at their circumstances in the earthly plane, what the eyes can see, the physical world. And God's going to take it up a level and he's going to say, look, I've got something to say. Um, I know there's great power in these nations that are arrayed around you. I know there's great power there, but I've got something to say, and I just, I, I want to remind you before I say what I'm going to say, that actually, in fact, I am the one who stretched out the skies, okay? So I know those nations around you look menacing and scary, but, but I'm going to say something about that. But let me just remind you, I stretched out the skies, I founded the earth upon which you are standing, invented it, in fact, and I put your spirit in you. I created you. I made you in my image, okay? So let's just remember context here, right? Let's just remember some context as I'm about to say what I'm going to say. Now, let me just pause for a second and remember that there are all kinds, there are all kinds of voices vying for our attention, Right? I mean, more than any other time in the history of the world, we have a myriad of voices vying for our attention, saying, hey, listen to me, trust in me, believe what I say, right? And it's just this deluge of voices washing over us. And it's really easy in the midst of that to lose sight of which voices are most important, which voices matter, and to allow the, the less significant and authoritative voices to increase in their authority in our lives, to carry more weight than they actually should 
carry in our lives. We give more actual authority to the minor voices in our lives and less to the voice of God. And just this first verse is a great reminder for us. You know, growing in maturity in Christ, you know, is, is ultimately about learning to give the voice of God more weight in your life than it has previously. It's, it's really simple. To learning to give the voice of God more weight, certainly than all the other voices, including your own voice, more and more over time. That's what it means to grow in Christ. And here in this particular context is what God says. And, and, and this is why that point about listening to the voice of God becomes important for the people of the God's people in, in uh, Jerusalem and then also for us then today. And here's, here's what it says. Verse 2, Zechariah 12, 2. Behold, so this is that, that, that voice which is authoritative says this. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem, people of God, a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. Now there's going to be a bunch of images in this text, and I want you to try to file them away, hold on to them, okay? Um, The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic. Now, this is actually the literal version of what's going to happen because these high-tech militaries that were surrounding Jerusalem, they had horses, they had cavalry, which was like the new innovative thing. And so they were menacingly, uh, uh, you know, postured towards uh, the people of God. And Israel didn't have that. They didn't have cal- cavalry. They didn't have the, you know, the equivalent of the tanks or the jet fighters. And so, um, so, what, so, so how do you defend against them? Well, on that day declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. Verse 6, on that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves. Sheaves are like the dried, you know, gleanings of the wheat that are stacked together, and so they're, they're very, very flammable. I will make... Um, I will make them like a flaming torch among sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. The great warrior, David, right? Remember, Saul killed his thousands, David killed his ten thousands. And the feeblest among the people of God will be like that great warrior, David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So God uses four metaphors, four word pictures to illustrate one point. He says, essentially, the people of God And now, if you're in Christ, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are the people of God. You're part of the people of God. If if that's true of you, then this is also true of you. Um, The people of God are a cup of staggering. 
those who drink it will end up stumbling, and the, the, the sort of connotation of that is, is shaming themselves through the staggering. You are a heavy stone. Those who try to lift it will hurt themselves. You are a blazing pot in the midst of a fire. It gets hot, right? But it endures and accomplishes its purpose, making food. You are a flame against sheaves. Uh, Again, dried grain stacked together in bundles, one of the most flammable things you can imagine. So when the, when the flames come, those disappear and the flame grows. And that's what it's saying about God's people, that they are like that flame. Despite what seems like the circumstances. And what this literally, literally looks like, we've already talked about it, is the, the cavalry who are there against Israel. And uh, they'll be thrown into chaos by the Lord. Right? The, the horse is the supreme uh, weapon, and uh, Israel didn't have any, and so this was a point of fear for them, right? And isn't that, the, isn't that the way it is? There are certain things that evoke that uncertainty, that doubt, that fear in us, and so he's, he's clearly addressing, I know what it is, and I will deal with that specific thing, okay? Important point. Now, one of the best things that we can do for our faith is to just grasp this one s- simple point. And I love the way that Pastor Paul said this a few sermons back. I wrote it down in my notes, and I've gone back to it, and it came back to me as I was looking at this text. For God's people, he, he said, it will often feel like we're losing. It will often feel like we're losing. For God's people, it will often feel like we're losing. This is why Peter denied Jesus, right? We go uh, up to uh, that time because all of a sudden he felt like he was on the losing team. He thought he, was, he felt like he was on the losing team all of a sudden, right? But it turns out that this is the way that it's often going to be um, when you are the people of God. It turns out that this is normal. Again, context. We probably feel this a little bit more acutely um, because the American church is going through some probably necessary refinement season right now. And, and that's actually ultimately good because what we're going to come out with, you know, Lord willing, if we are humble and listening to the Lord and, and, and willing to change, you know, we're going to come out with something that more... Uh, fully aligns with the voice of God that approximates more fully who God has called us to be. That's a, that's a painful but beautiful process, right? But we feel that right now, um, uh, you know, and, but I want to remind us that, the Christ, that Christianity throughout the world is growing, that in the southern hemisphere, there are people, you know, daily in China, there are people daily coming to faith, tons of them, and still in this country as well, that, that people are discovering the substantive nature of belief in Jesus Christ to meet the tests and challenges of their lives. And that's happening all over the place such that there's more now than, than ever. And so we have to make, be careful to balance what we might be, be experiencing in our current moment here in this place with the reality of what God is doing. And then also this important teaching that, you know what, even so, it often feels like when you're following Jesus, it often feels like you're losing. 
I think there's something in there about God orchestrating things so he always gets the glory. Right? Anyway, um, either way, what Zechariah is saying back in 520 BC, he's telling you today that if you are part of the people of God, you and your faith are here to stay. You and your faith are here to stay. There's staying power for you. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. The feeblest among us will be like King David, the mighty warrior. So even if socially on a a large scale or personally it feels like you are losing at times, don't be fooled. God wins. So, but let's dig a little bit deeper, and why is this so? Why is it, why can we say that we are this immovable stone? How can we be confident about the durability of God's people? And that just takes us to the second half of our passage, which I'm only, we're going to move much more quickly through this. I'm just going to pull out, I want to hold up two verses here, really the first and the last verse. And what we're saying is that Jesus has put his weight into you. That is why you are durable. That is why you are lasting. That is why, you know, you are heavy and not easily moved. And I don't want you to miss that we're looking at a prophetic word here from the year 520 B.C. So these words from Zechariah go all the way back to 520 B.C., and they were then fulfilled in the life of Jesus somewhere around 30 A.D. So So, you know, we're looking from our vantage point, but we need to understand that gap. 520 B.C., when Zechariah is speaking and prophesying these words, and then their fulfillment in the life of Jesus. The first verse is is verse 10. Um, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Now this is a really interesting verse to try to unpack given that it was spoken in 520, around 520 BC, right? I mean, that's kind of incredible um, to think about. Um, when you then fast forward to see how it was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And some of what's interesting about this verse, it says, there will come a day when one who is God, right, because he says, I'll pour on the house of David and the heavens of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and please for mercy so that when they look on me, this is the voice of God saying, when they look on me, (laughs) when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, right? So, You couldn't unpack all this in that moment. But when Jesus comes, it's like all of a sudden this this sort of, you know, low definition statement becomes high def in the person of Jesus Christ. Because, Because we know Jesus articulated that he was in fact God. And so this is how those two pieces could be merged together in Jesus Christ. That it could be him there on that cross and be God on that cross. And the fulfillment of this prophecy could be happening in that moment. That's the beautiful thing. And, and this connection is made by the gospel writer, John. And what's really interesting to me about this is that, you know, John was the one that was latest. And so he probably had the most time to reflect. 
Uh, and so, you know, there he is digging into the Old Testament and trying to understand, you know, what's happening. John 19, 37, after he describes the way that Jesus is pierced while he's there on the cross, it says, and again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So he's, he's basically making explicit that this Zechariah verse is being fulfilled in that moment when Jesus is on the cross and he's being pierced. So then in this text, go back to Zechariah, um, there is a lengthy description of how pervasive the mourning and sadness will be over this pierced one. In fact, there's probably no other, you know, maybe very few other points in Scripture where such a, a lengthy and broad articulation of the depth of mourning that will be right? And, and that's, that is the response when we fully understand Jesus' death on the cross. The response is deep mourning and wide and broad mourning over what has taken place. Um, so then after that, we have the second verse that I want to call out, which is now in chapter 13, verse 1. So just chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, so on that day when, when God, me slash him, he says, is pierced, on that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Okay? Remember who we're talking about here. To cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Have you ever wondered, you know, this whole thing about, you know, the gospel and how does it all work? You got it all right here in 520, around 520 B.C. You see it there. Now, again, think of the inhabitants of Jerusalem as the people of God. The whole problem with the world goes back to sin. Here we have this beautiful promise that God will open a fountain of cleansing. Through the pierced one, he will wash away all that is wrong and bad in the world. And this is why then you, sitting here today, in Christ, are heavy, immovable. Because, because Jesus has put his whole weight into you on that cross. He has put it all into you on that cross. If you are that precious that God would do that for you, you will make it through whatever test faces you now. That's the principle. Um, perhaps Paul articulates it best in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the greatest statement that ever could be made about your value and your worth and your significance that God would be willing to give up himself for you. And if that's true of you, if the God of the universe is the one, remember who created and founded and stretched and put you, if that one was willing to go to those lengths for you, then what else do you have to be afraid of? What else do you have to be afraid of? I mean, not to, not to disacknowledge the struggles and the strains that we go through in life, but ultimately, right, this is the grand truth. This is the big story. So I was in quarantine this past week, and I'm, I'm all cleared and test, 
you know, negative and everything. Um, just so you know, but I had some time to think because I was um, sitting in my bedroom for a long time. Um, and so um, one of the th- lessons, I had several lessons that came out of this uh, forced isolation. Uh, and one of them was that I think I need to give the voice of God more weight in my life. I need to give, now that's not to say that I don't do that, but you know, the call of God is onward and upward to deeper and deeper maturity and development. And I had it pointed out to me, I need to give the voice of God more weight in my life. And, and, and what that looks like, you know, I need to be more radical in the way I align my thinking with his. I need to see the world as he says it is and not according to my own fears or human interpretations of circumstances or the loud assertions of pundits. So I was writing in my journal, it's no use being a partial Christian. You have to take it all. And your maturity level has to grow with your knowledge and experience level. You can't hold back the growth because you don't like it, because you don't want to become too radical. You can't hold back the growth because you don't want to become too radical. If you're going to embrace it, embrace it all. I was reading George MacDonald also. Um, George MacDonald was the fiction writer who inspired Tolkien and C.S. Lewis in many, many ways, and Lewis Carroll and, and many others. And he writes about this character, uh, one of the famous characters in his books, and he describes him this way, and it really jumped out to me. He said, the best, somebody's describing this man who's a Christian. He says, the best and wisest man I ever knew believed in God with his whole heart. In fact, he cared for nothing but God. Or rather, he cared for everything because it belonged to God. He was never afraid of anything, never troubled about anything. Now again, that's aspirational. If we really see the world the way that God calls us to see it. But I love having that picture held out in front of me. Say, yeah, that's, Lord, that's where I want to go more and more if you take me there. Because I can't get there on my own. I think a lot of the time, our, our, and we're going to finish with, a lot of the time our Christian experience starts to feel lightweight when we try to live equal parts by sight and by faith. Thank you for singing that song. Um, In other words, we want all the spiritual things that we hear about in Scripture to be true to our eyes first, and then we'll believe it. That's a recipe for living kind of in a double way and and having a lot of uncertainty and doubt. Because the Bible is clear, you're not going to see a lot of things that are nonetheless true. And so, we are always of good courage, Paul says. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. It's not, if it, I'll believe if you show me first. That's not the way that we move through the world. I believe first, and I trust you to show me in your timing. I trust you to show me in your timing, even if that's when I get to heaven. So the fact that Jesus died for you means that you're heavy, it's a heavy, Jesus is a heavy enough counterbalance For anything and everything else that is happening around you or to you. That's what this ultimately is saying. It's more important, more significant, more thick, more massive, more ponderous, more substantive than anything else. The death of Jesus on your behalf. It's as if Zechariah is pulling back the curtain to what's really happening in the universe. And he's saying, look, I know you're seeing all these things, but let me pull back the curtain. And the message behind the curtain is that God loves you. And he loves you with a love that is weighty enough to 
overwhelm everything else that could or might take place. And so I know you've got fears and uncertainties and doubts and struggles left, right, and center, and there's this arrayed against you. I know that all of that is true, but I just want you to, to look past it all and see that I was willing to be pierced for you. And in doing so, I opened up a fountain that cleanses you and makes it so you will never, ever, ever be separated from me. That's what the Lord is saying. So be confident. Lord, would you help us? Help us in these moments to connect into the reasons that we have to be confident in your love for us and to be confident in the face of uncertainties and doubts because, in fact, you have thrown your whole weight behind your love for us all the way to the end. And because of that powerful truth, we can know with a kind of faithful certainty that you are indeed at work and you are not done yet. And so we praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen.